welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Uh, very happy to have with me once more Sports Pro print editor Michael Long. Hi Mike. Hi Owen, how are you doing? I'm doing well Mike, how are you? I'm very well. I am uh, back from a lovely long Easter weekend and fighting fit again after last week's illness. So I'm 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 good. I'm raring to go. Sounds great. I can hear it. I can hear it in your voice, Mike. That you're you're in, in finer fettle. What was where, where did you Easter? I was in uh, Pembrokeshire, uh, in South Wales, on the coast there. Lovely. If any of the listeners have not been, I definitely recommend it. How about yourself? I was in. South East London, moving back into my flat after a six-month renovation project. So oh, lots of lovely weekend to do it. Lots of uh, lots of snagging. Mm. Never tell you about snagging. Um, so you're kind of moving back in in stages. But it's yeah, it's looking good. It's looking good. Also yeah. looking good, Mike. Um, effortless segue as ever. Also looking good. But Sports Pro's flagship conference, Sports Pro Live, back next week at the O2 in London. It's where technology meets the sports business. And we've got a very fine agenda, very fine collection of speakers, as discussed, likes of Rebel Media House, Formula One, European Tour, FIFA, UEFA, Intel, ATP Media, Discovery and Play Sports Group, DAZN, all those guys, PSG, Cricket World Cup, Rugby World Cup, and um, uh, an agenda covering finance, artificial intelligence, esports, digital transformation, broadcast, all of those getting their own forums. I am rushing through this, Mike, because our listeners uh, and the rest of the sports pro community do not have very much time to get hold of passes for this because we are about one week off. In fact, I think uh, as people will be listening to this, we're one week away from day two of the event, mm. 30th of April and 1st of May. So yeah, do head to live.sportspromedia.com to find out how you can get hold of one of the last passes and join us at the O2 next week. A um, few bits and pieces worthy of, of some comment in the last few days, obviously interrupted as far as, as we're concerned here by the, the long Easter weekend, but some interesting bits. Serena Williams is, um, is getting involved in the venture capital space. Um, yeah, it sounds like she's been involved for a, a little while, a few years. Well, she's formalising, 30... yeah. Okay, so 30, 30 um, investments since 2014, I hear. MBA is going to uh, permit international sponsorship rights sales. Uh, MLS expanding to 30 teams, which takes it kind of in line now with, with the other, or, or with the kind of established major leagues in, uh, in the US. Um, WNBA, obviously there's been a lot of talk about commercial expansion of women's sport, and they've signed a new deal with uh, CBS that will see 40 games broadcast in prime time on CBS Sports Network. Here in the UK, W Series, the all-female motorsport championship, has confirmed its UK TV rights deal with Channel 4. All that news on sportsbrandmedia.com, as well as insights on how the NBA is leading in uh, personalised content, a look at AWS uh, and their work on the Six Nations, Sam Karp's new column uh, on Facebook's unfolding media rights strategy. Sam has spoken to John Dutton, the Chief Executive Rugby League World Cup 2021, and to Lindsay Impet, the Event Director at Netball World Cup 2019, 
two UK-based events, and they're going to be collaborating and pooling resources. It's an interesting project that they're stringing together. Sam will bring you all of that in part two. The rest of part one, Mike, I had my eye caught, and certainly you had your eye caught by uh, some movements in the Olympic media space. Some news breaking this morning as, as we're talking is that Discovery continuing its rights distribution activities and they've done a deal with France Television or France Televisions, depending on which accent you prefer. Nice, nicely the, pronounced anyway, Owen. Mm, for the 2024 Olympics or going up to the 2024 Olympics. Little tidbit that emerged over the weekend is that the IOC has appointed a head of digital partnerships, Anish Madani, moving across wow. from... Twitter Asia Pacific. So uh, exciting hire for them, I think. Fun to see what he does with that project. But yeah, something that, that caught your eye towards the end of last week was a new kind of partnership, I guess, in US Olympic circles. Mm. Yeah, it's been described as a first of its kind uh, partnership in certainly in US Olympic and Paralympic history. Um, NBC Universal teaming up with LA 2028 to essentially establish a one-stop shop for brands wanting to get involved in, in the next four editions of the Olympic Games, so 2022, uh, 24, 26, which is obviously uh, going to be awarded to one of Stockholm or Milan uh, in June, and also the LA Games in 2028. It's a bit of a unique collaboration. It's a departure from from how these um, uh, domestic sponsorships, I suppose, have, be, have been sold in the past, um, spanning media, assets, sponsorship rights, um, activation opportunities alongside Team USA from 2021 onwards. So um, certainly an interesting move. It's one which was um, written about in some depth in the latest issue, Sports Pro Magazine, issue 105, by Terence Burns, who many will know um, as the a kind of renowned uh, figure in sponsorship, certainly Olympic sponsorship and event bidding, and also well, it's co-authored by Terence Burns and Jan Katzoff. They're now part of the Engine Shop Agency, uh, which is part of Bruin Sports Capital. But anyway, writing in Sports Pro magazine, uh, they went into some depth about, uh, or they hinted at or intimated that this partnership would be would be struck given that LA 2028 has set itself a target of $2.5 billion, Owen. Mm. Um, sponsorship target from domestic sales. They've, uh, LA 2028 obviously established, uh, I think last year, a joint venture with the USOC to kind of uh, get the ball rolling on selling rights to their games. Uh, then uh, They've done a deal with Nike already. They've installed Kathy Carter, the former president of Soccer United Marketing, to run that entity, which is known as uh, USOPP, uh, US Olympic and Paralympic Properties. Uh, so, yeah, in short, this this deal between NBC and LA 2028 will see the creation of a kind of sales team that will go out and market these uh, these all-encompassing packages, giving brands uh, the opportunity to align with Team USA around their participation at the next four Olympic Games, including the Games themselves on US soil, first time in 32 years. So it's a, certainly a big uh, big deal. It's It's been described as kind of transformative in Olympic circles. Uh, I know Terence Burns mentioned on Twitter, it's certainly long overdue. Uh, one of the biggest developments in Olympic marketing uh, since uh, LA 1984. So yeah, what was your what was your take on it, Owen? It's uh, obviously um, a lot kind of bundled within that, um, but clearly it's um, a sign of 
innovation or a sign of uh, progress on mm. the Olympic, Olympic domestic sponsorships? Yeah, I mean, this is the longest that any host cities had maybe in our lifetimes that's been confirmed yeah you know as, as a lead that's uh, been confirmed as a host city and it has this kind of what will have been a 12 year 11 year lead in so there's a lot of room for experimentation um there's a lot of room to build something that could maybe outlast la 2028 from a commercial perspective uh, to rethink the ecosystem i guess of um of olympic marketing and and something maybe that is a little more befitting the strategy of creating properties that kind of outlast the games and, and run between if you think of what the IOC's done or trying to do with the Olympic Channel, for example. You know, we talked about them bringing the new digital partnerships head. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, you've got Casey Wasserman involved as the chairman of LA 2028. He's been there since the bid phase. His whole world has been in partnerships and in, um, mm. uh, you know, agency work through through his career in the sports industry. So he will have a, a reasonable kind of macro view of, of where things are going and where the value is there to be added. I think um, I think that's a key point. Obviously, it's a, it's a sign of where things are going. It's a sign of the times. Um, as um, as Terence Burns writes in his piece, the organisers of LA 2028 are dealing with a, what he calls a sponsorship mechanism that is a generation old. Obviously, mm. uh, much of the kind of Olympic marketing program as it currently is, including the IOC's international top sponsorship program, were kind of created 30 years or so ago. Um, so it, it was in need of updating. You know, there was um, antiquated rights and benefits involved, kind of ill-suited to how brands go to market today. Uh, this idea that that sponsorship and media rights are converging into kind of all-encompassing content deals. Um, and then certainly, you know, media fragmentation and th and some of the trends we've seen in the media space kind of factoring into this, and it gives yeah. gives, gives brands more of that opportunity to cut through some of the clutter and, and work right across NBC's platforms. You know, not just broadcast TV, but uh, yeah, know, it's, it's made huge investments itself in in digital and and teamed up with the IOC, of course, as one of the, the kind of largest benefactors of the Olympic movement in the operation of the Olympic Channel in the US as well. So it's it's kind of packaging all of that together and and, and bringing it up to to kind of uh, fit the the needs of the modern you know modern brand, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the top level media side is is the other thing I guess to to take into consideration. I mean, we had a report from Delta Tray last week who are obviously part of that Bruin family along with Engine Shop, suggesting that the, the spending on OTT technology in North America is going to hit, or in North American sports, so not leaving aside, you know, the, the rest of the change in the media landscape is going to hit $6.8 by 2021. Mm. And we have changes being engineered in the rest of that digital media landscape and involving Disney. They've just launched with, with their Disney plus offering and, and the spm plus and expansions to hulu and obviously that's where they're going to be pouring a lot of their resources um we know what's already happening in in that entertainment space with netflix and amazon and so on and that is going to have uh, quite a profound effect you would think over the next decade on uh, how how the u.s media marketplace operates mm. and there will be people who have a, a firmer handle and, and probably you would hope comcast at nbc will have a, a pretty decent idea of, uh, of of what the numbers are telling them in terms of how consumer behavior is going to is going to continue from here but certainly if you're a brand and you are looking over that period 
you're looking over another nine years out from an Olympic Games in in LA and obviously you know several other games in between that will be all over the map in terms of time zones and and will have kind of attendant effects on uh, on how people are watching stuff flexibility is going to be a huge benefit and knowing that you're going to be able to anticipate those changes is going to be a huge benefit and I guess this just gives you the broadest possible base if you're if you're looking at partnerships in that part of the world yeah and if you're looking to you know get involved uh in the LA game certainly you know buy-in is what in the region of 400 million dollars reportedly for tier one deals you know if you're looking to you know generate a return on that kind of investment you need to know that you're going to have all the assets at your disposal and you know you're not then having to spend out on vast sums or additional sums on on activation and and buying you know media buys and buying space on NBC separately from from what you've already spent you know with the games themselves um mm. Tying all that together certainly is beneficial. Kind of streamlines the the whole process of achieving that. One of one of the I suppose the key elements of this partnership that we aren't privy to is how how the you know revenue generated from these sponsorship sales will ultimately break down. How much you know NBC will be getting from them uh, and the USOC in partnership with the um, with the LA 2028 organisers. We don't know how that breaks down, but as you say, NBC presumably it's. Uh, run the numbers, it's done the math, so to speak, and uh, feels that it can, um, has struck a, you know, struck a decent deal. Um, yeah. One other element we don't, or it wasn't particularly, it wasn't, certainly wasn't mentioned last week um, as part of this announcement, but uh, uh, some listeners may remember that in October, I believe, LA 2028 and the USOC enlisted legends to sell sponsorships for the Games. And uh, team, well, team USA sponsorships for the next four Olympics. Um, interesting to know how what the dynamic is there, and and uh, you know how they'll they'll kind of tie into this, or you know, uh, be factored into this whole whole operation. Clearly, it's a kind of multi-stakeholder, kind of cross, you know, works across the entirety of of the Olympic movement on it, within the US. But yeah, interested to we'll, we'll have to find out, Owen, how how legends uh, factor into this. Yeah, we will. I think the other element of it more broadly is you've got back-to-back Olympic Games in real heavyweight host cities, and now we're beginning to see how they are shaking out in terms of the perception that they want people to have of them. So you have Paris, which was uh, you know a third-time bidder in this kind of generation of, of Olympics, and that is increasingly being framed as what can a host city do? What can a host city be like? You know, you're going to have as much of Paris used as possible. You're going to have this very participative mm-hmm. element in in its Olympics. At least that's you know that's the plan with with a, a mass participation marathon with you know digital routes into the games and and all the rest of it. And that's going to be very much about the urban side, I think, of of what an Olympic Games is going to be like. And now you're seeing LA, I think, increasingly being thought of as a means of rethinking the Olympics on the media side. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very technology influenced. Obviously, you've got some of the biggest media and technology companies in the world in the orbit of LA. I mean, some of them are based a bit further north, I guess, on the tech side. But, you know, certainly they will be wanting to have an influence on those games. It's not quite the same kind of footprint as a Paris Olympics because LA is a very different kind of city. So, you know, trying to make the games neat and compact and all the rest of it is probably not the way forward. But you can rethink the way that the Olympics are delivered 
as a as a media property mm-hmm. um, and i'm sure the other side of it will will come out as as the games approaches and as we get the other side of paris <clears throat> yeah i think uh, some of the, the, the finer the lifestyle de- side and everything yeah i think some of the finer details as you say about technology and <clears throat> the way they the way they'll innovate within specifically within media and on the technological side will will play out in the years to come i think they're just at the moment kind of laying the groundwork to really showcase what the olympics can be as a as a media product as a as a kind of broadcast product but also as a commercial beast really and within the sporting landscape as a as a major event that drives huge value for for brands obviously i i think they the organizers see this as a an opportunity to make a leap forward within olympic marketing as i kind of alluded to before mm. um in the same way la of 84 did uh previously so i think it's um yeah it's a case of kind of flexing the, the commercial muscles showing what an event of this scale can be yeah uh, moving forward yeah and i think yeah on the perception side it was important and it, it's going to be important for la to to deliver on that side i think that's the expectation mm. um if you if you give an olympic games to that particular city right i think that is going to do us for part one and we're going to have john dutton Lindsay impit and our own sam carp Uh, right after this enjoying this sports pro podcast well we're also the sports industry leader in print digital and events head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features news and interviews from the business of sport help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else get inside the industry with sports pro welcome back to the sports pro podcast mike it's a we've got we've got a real golden run of global events coming up uh, in 2019, you know, rugby World Cup, basketball World Cup out in China. We've got some some great ones in in the UK here as well. Are there are there any that you're particularly looking forward to? Well, I wouldn't uh, class myself as a cricket fan, but I'm certainly looking forward to the Cricket World Cup this summer, Owen, as I am sure you are. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, further on the horizon, men's uh, European Championship, soccer ball. Looking forward to that and the women's edition as well. Am I right in saying that's coming here? That's coming 2021, yeah. So men's is obviously it's part of the the Pan Euro mm. uh, Euro 2020, and Wembley Stadium is is hosting the lion share mm. or the not not the lion share. I don't know. The lion share of lion just had slightly more than than some of the others. Rather than money. <laughs> well, it's seven games, isn't it? Including seven games, the including showpiece. the semi-finals. Yeah, yeah. semi-finals yeah. and the final. So. You would think rounding off the the kind of uh, what was it called the UK's golden decade of uh, major events, but of course, yeah, we are going into the next decade with women's Euro and also two more events that are upcoming on British soil. We have the Netball World Cup. Um, obviously, Joanna Adams was on this program not very long ago, talking about the opportunities inherent there. Uh, and we have a Rugby League World Cup in England in 2021, which is going to be a combination of the men's, women's and wheelchair events, which I think will be and it's a really exciting event concept for that tournament. Those two events are joining forces. They're going to get involved in a kind of knowledge and best practice sharing partnership uh, to try and deliver maximum mutual benefits and try and you know see, see what they can do uh, to really make an impression over the next couple of years. Sam Carp, Sports Pro senior writer, was visited last week in Sports Pro's London offices by John Dutton, who is the chief executive 
of Rugby League World Cup 2021 and by Lindsay Impit, who is the event director of this year's Netball World Cup in Liverpool. And they took some time to explain to him what they're trying to achieve through this partnership, what the potential benefits could be um, and what their hopes are for those two tournaments. So we will leave Sam to take it away. So John, Lindsay, thank you very much for joining us here at Sports Pro Towers today. Obviously you've got this, uh, this new partnership coming up between your two tournaments and first of all I guess I'm just very keen to hear how it came about from both sides. Um, John, last time we spoke I know you were talking about how you were discussing with other events coming up in the UK and so would it be fair to say that you guys were kind of the instigators in this? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we're blessed in the UK with many uh, fantastic events, uh, particularly uh, coming this year, uh, netball, cricket, cycling, uh, football in 2020, uh, football and us in 21 and Commonwealth Games in 22. We've come together as a noise transfer group and, uh, and this partnership has been very much born out of that. And from our perspective, I guess um, it's very much the women's sport element, um, sharing some knowledge of, of building a tournament um, just that's purely women's sport, but also we share a venue, so the wheelchair rugby is taking place at the MS Bank Arena um, as part of the ACC Liverpool, which is our venue for the event. Sure, that's great. And um, I mean, what do you kind of see as being the key benefits of, of working together on this? I mean, why do you think your two events in particular are well, well aligned? Uh, I think noise transfer, number one, we can both learn from each other. Obviously, Lindsay's event is, is very much coming into view, whereas our event is still over 900 days away. Uh, but we're going to um, we're going to observe. Uh, we're certainly going to learn uh, a lot from Lindsay and her team. Uh, as Lindsay's alluded to, actually using the same venues, really interesting. Uh, we've got an indoor sport uh, alongside our outdoor venues. Um, but I, I think in this ever-changing world of digital um, consumption, uh, how spectators expect uh, more, uh, that, that's just going to change beyond all rec recognition. So if we can learn and also pass on, not just between ourselves, but also onto future uh, events and rights holders, that's, that's really critical for us. We also have quite similar countries participating in both of our events. And um, John worked on the 2013 Rugby League World Cup. So there's a, a knowledge transfer from Rugby League to netball, as well as netball back to Rugby League. So this partnership's worked particularly well for us. Yeah, and, and I think promoting women's sport, um, you know, obviously the, the great work that Lindsay's done uh, and netball uh, being in the public eye since, uh, since Gold Coast and winning the gold medal. Um, it's fair to say that Women's Rugby League uh, is still on a journey. Uh, the Women's Super League is still very embryonic, uh, but we're going to start our tournament in Liverpool at Anfield. We're going to finish our women's tournament at Old Trafford. Uh, so actually to get together and to be able to promote women's sports, uh, what a, you know, there's never been a better time to do that. Sure. I mean, you've, as you mentioned there, women's sport is kind of on this upper trajectory at the moment. It'd be, I guess it'd be fair to say that netball, especially in this country, has never been healthier and has never been getting as much exposure as it is now, which is fantastic. So, I mean, how much of these events do you see them as an opportunity to kind of continue that surge and continue to tap into that? Well, we've spoken about the Commonwealth Games. I know that wasn't in this country, but the impact that that had on netball and even on just the viewership of netball and women's sport was incredible. I think it's something like 130,000 people, more people were either starting to play or playing more netball following that event. Um, and in this summer, we've not only got the Netball World Cup in Liverpool, but just before that, we've got the Women's Football World Cup as well. So we're very much riding a wave of people being more interested in women's sport and, and not even calling it women's sport, just it being sport in the same way that men's sport is. So we continue to ride on that. From an event perspective, we were quite 
lucky that it's impacted us so positively, but we hope that we can continue that legacy on beyond Liverpool to other events that are taking place in the next few years. And, and I think some great role models, uh, some great ambassadors. Um, we can cite examples in both rugby league and netball, but much wider um, than that. And, and for us, um, if we can encourage more girls um, to uh, have a go at game, uh, take away some of the physicality, um, but also just play sport and, and, and we're not precious the, the rugby football league have a big drive towards 21,000 girls and women playing rugby league by 2021 and we want to help support that but we're also just keen to engage give people a really positive experience and I think events uh, major events are the pinnacle of that sure and I mean you've obviously mentioned the crossover with the arena um, the fact that there's, there's women's tournaments and um, I mean what, what are some of the other specifics that you guys see as ways that you're going to be working with each other and I guess are there, are there some things that you've already learned from each other already? Absolutely I think uh, well, John and I have, have worked very closely on um, even just mentoring if I'm able to say that um, just of his experiences but also my experiences so we're working closely together and then at an operational level um, some of his team working with some of my team at a media level we may be doing some shadowing at the event so there'll be opportunities for some of the rugby league team to come down and, and watch the event as a spectator but also follow us around and see how we're doing and help us out uh, in key roles during the event as well so there's those elements there's also the possibility of, of cross promotion because of those nations that you know coming over from Australia, New Zealand, etc. for both events, you know, we can potentially cross-promote there as well. Yeah, and, and from a social perspective, we're actually uh, working with a partner at the moment promoting a film called Power Mary, which is about Papua New Guinea's uh, experience in the 2017 Women's um, World Cup and the journey they've been on. And, and, and that film is about empowerment and about inspiration and, and I think that's a theme um, is there something tangible that we can point to now that we, we, we can both demonstrate that perhaps not uh, but I think in this wonderful summer of sport and then beyond uh, we will be able to cite some examples of where we've inspired um, girls and women uh, boys and men um, to get involved in our respective events sure and I'm, I'm quite interested in kind of the timing aspect of this because obviously as we've mm. mentioned John your event is still just over two years away uh, there's a year events just over two months away which I'm sure you don't need to remind you of um, so I'm kind of keen to know just how this how this partnership will kind of work in the immediate term and what the focus will be and then sort of going on from that how you'll work together in, in the two years well following. I might start on the short term because mm, I am the short absolutely. term at the moment um, John and I have actually been working together for probably about nine months yeah. now um, not just ourselves but within the teams as well so this is kind of the formalization of that process rather than the start of that process so we've done a lot of knowledge sharing um, particularly around the venue particularly around just best practice etc um, in the short to medium term for us it's around sharing the knowledge of the actual event itself um, and I think for a longer term it's about that boost that both events can give to women's sport whether that's netball or whether that's um, rugby league or football or any of the other sports within the UK um, that's our long-term aim of this relationship now John's long-term aim is probably flipped on its head to mine so I'll let him yeah, uh, 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 and we're going to soak all of this up. We're in a really privileged position uh, over two and a half years to go uh, to be able to come and see an event live, to work with Lindsay and her team and to learn. Um, it puts us in a really privileged position. But I think the return of that um, is, is, is wider than just our two events. It's about how we can share with other people who will be in our situation in the future. Uh, and it might be things around impact, uh, the social benefit from actually staging an event. It might be some of the operational detail, which at the moment we're less worried about. It might be stakeholder uh, relationship. You know, we've both got a significant government commitment uh, into our um, events at both local and national level. 
So I think if you put all of those things in in this ever-changing environment, um, then um, we hope this partnership is is you know the start of something where other people can come and share and benefit from what we're about to learn. Sure, and I mean from the outside looking in, a lot of people will kind of say the that the audiences are fairly fairly different. I mean, there's this perception of rugby league, which I guess you're trying to change that it's a it's yeah. a sport it's based in Northern England, um, and but now you've got you've got this opportunity with the wheelchair tournament, the women's tournament at yeah. the same time. So it'd be fair to say that you're both kind of trying to tap into your different audiences and bring them to your events as well. I think from our perspective, um, we knew who our main core audience were, and without a doubt, they're the one, a lot of those are the ones that have purchased the tickets or will be watching it on TV. But we really want to send Netball further than just its core audience. We've already seen that from the number of tickets that we've sold. Um, we're on the BBC, uh, we're on Sky, which is fantastic for the event. And we're trying to push that audience further and further. So we are open and, and welcoming people from other sports to come and understand Netball and then spread the word about it. Yeah, and I think, first of all, Lindsay has done a fantastic job uh, in terms of the ticket sales uh, and, and, and that really sets the tone for how good the event is going to be and how vibrant the atmosphere will be. Um, we, we, our challenge, uh, we have our core constituency uh, who are fiercely loyal, are proud of the sport and, and we hope will buy into what we're trying to do. We think about 50% of the audience will be event goers and they will hopefully be people that have been to the Netball World Cup, that came to World Athletic Championships in 2017, that will come to the Summer of Sport events this year, Cricket World Cup in particular, who again have done just a fantastic job in terms of their ticket sales. So that's critical for us to understand people's motivation, the propensity to buy, what sort of experience they want, and, and that's definitely for us is beyond rugby league. Um, we, 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 the 80 minutes will be great, but it's got to be so much more than that. And, and I think that event goer audience, um, we are so blessed in this uh, country with so many great events. Um, and that's why it's important to learn from each other and make sure that our experience is, is absolutely first class. Sure. I mean, you, it's quite interesting you mentioned there about engaging people beyond that kind of live event because there's an increasing focus on that, not just for kind of major events, but for just sports happening every week as well. So, I mean, how do you kind of plan on using digital in particular to kind of keep keep those event goers engaged outside of those live games that they might be attending? I'll just go back to a story that I, that I had. I was lucky enough to go to Australia and uh, as I came back on the train and it was a four o'clock in the morning match, somebody on the train said to me, oh, I was coming back from my shift and I watched that match. Now that person had absolutely no involvement in netball before, but the sport had captured their imagination. They happened to be up at that time. And we sort of converted them into somebody who's likely to watch it on the event. Social media gives us that voice to get even further. Um, Netball World Cup, if you, if you were to search Netball World Cup across our social media, obviously we're tapping into our current audience, but we're working with the BBC, we're working with Sky, we're working with digital agencies to try and push that mes message out further through social, whether that's interesting Instagram stories or s short snippets of Jude, our mascot, um, who we love by the way, um, doing different things, a little bit like Hero the Hedgehog back in 2017, just engages the different audience and it's about that creativity as much as anything else, as, as much as exciting as the sport is, it's the creative stuff we can do around it that really gets people's attention. Yeah, I remember vividly the, the moments from Gold Coast, you know, sat glued to the TV watching um, a sport that I wasn't particularly familiar with and you can translate that back to Rio and London all the different sports that we watch it's just, it is compelling viewing um, and digital I think will play a massive part in that particularly for us uh, we're going to use the next two and a half years to really define our digital ecosystem uh, how we'll engage uh, beyond the rugby community 
and most importantly perhaps the experience in the venue and, and we think by late 2021 whether it's wearable technology um, how it's, we, might, we might use metadata in terms of the overlay to present to uh, customers um, it's so important that our venues are full and vibrant but it's also equally important that then digitally uh, we've enabled people to connect and feel really part of that experience sure and i mean how how important is storytelling going to be coming into this thing because obviously i mean the, the fan connection to their, to their nations is great, but I mean, obviously we saw coming out of Gold Coast, and as you mentioned, John, coming out of Rio and plenty of other events, this is an yeah. opportunity to kind of tell the story of your athletes, yeah. possibly athletes that don't necessarily get that spotlight as much as these mainstream sports like football or, or whatever else. I mean, how, mu how much is that going to come into your thinking? Absolutely, it already has. I mm. think, um, I guess our athletes, um, unlike full professional athletes, because not all the athletes playing netball are full professional athletes. They have other stories around them as well. So um, they may be working in certain jobs, so they're balancing that in women's sport. Um, remember from Congress in 2017, Peace Boscovia, who's the Ugandan goal shooter and captain, she um, is also one of our ambassadors. She brought the entire Congress to tears by telling her story of how netball had got her out of the village that she lived with, lived in in Uganda, changed her life, given her opportunities to come to the UK, do a marketing degree, marketing masters, and it had changed her world and she wanted to inspire other people to do the same thing and believe in themselves. And those stories are what are gonna get people to engage with our sports and continue to support them, even if their team lose. You know, because a lot of people's emotional connection to a sport is related to the team. We've tried to sell this tournament on coming to watch 16 fantastic teams, not just supporting England. And through our ticket sales, we've really seen that, that people want to see all those different teams, all the different stories behind them. Um, it's 100% important to what we're doing. Yeah, I think storytelling is massive. It's the same for us. Whilst we've got a bigger tournament, so we've got 61 games, we've got 32 teams, we've got 21 venues. England will only play in a small number of those, and, and clearly many spectators' first choice would be to watch the England men's, England women's, England wheelchair teams. So that's why it's important that we bring to life uh, the other nations that will uh, take part. And our team have just returned um, just yesterday from uh, Kingston, Jamaica, uh, where we've been on an international development programme uh, because Jamaica are playing in our men's tournament for the very first time. And we know there's a big Caribbean community in the UK. So we've gone to gather some high quality content that we want to use to try and engage with that um, community. And we know with the Pacific nations, the way that they prepare for the games, whether it's a war dance, whether it's singing a hymn together, that's a real USP that people can come and enjoy and watch. And for some people, that's as good, if not better, than the actual sport itself. So storytelling will play a huge part. And, and it does in sport, full stop. Uh, an event, I think, is just the way that it permeates to the top and uh, it becomes more in the public eye. And it adds to the drama, 100%. Yeah, sure. um, I'm sure the drama from Commonwealth Games was fantastic, but I'm sure it was added to by the fact that it was a single goal win in the dying seconds against Australia in Australia. So all of those things just make the story. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's obviously being labelled as a world first partnership as well. Um, I'm interested, because obviously listening to you guys now, it seems like almost as if it was a no-brainer. So why do you think it's kind of taken until now for something like this to happen? And do you think we'll see more of this going forward? I, I, I think we'll see much more of it. Perhaps, I, I think there's lots of examples where people have done this together. Perhaps this is the first time it's really been formalised and thought through. And, um, and, and it's so interesting that we are at such different stages. Uh, but the work, we, we, myself and Lindsay, sat down with colleagues from many other sports events uh, last week. And there is a huge appetite uh, in the UK to share knowledge. Uh, I, I think it's really 
uh, is incredibly positive um, and I think we will see much more of that and we've got such such incredible events I mean we're fascinated by the Cricket World Cup uh, and the success that I'm sure they will have and, and the World Road Race Cycling Championships which is a completely different event where, where tickets aren't being sold that's a free event so there are all these different events of different shapes and sizes uh, but more than anything we can absolutely learn from each other yeah and we've been um, informally working like talking to taekwondo so they've got their world championships in manchester in may and although there aren't we're not in the same city we're not in the same venue we're not the same a similar sport we can still learn about being in an in arena the experiences that they've had from their two grand prix in the last couple of years um so we all we've all done it informally for quite yeah. some time and i think it's just pinpointing those areas rather than it just being a conversation about knowledge transfer it's pinpointing certain areas like women's sport or like the venue or like that we can actually um sort of structure our knowledge transfer yeah. and, and certainly liverpool gave us a reason to come together um, i think it's a really bold decision for the netball world cup to stage the pinnacle event um, in a northern city uh, and the north is clearly really important uh, to us but we want to celebrate um, culture and contemporary places um, and that was a that was a positive reason for us to come together uh, but more than anything we're staging uh, mega sports events that we're really proud and privileged to have in the UK. Yeah and I mean it is interesting because it's obviously as I said people looking in you've got a netball event which is 10 days, one arena, a rugby league event which is several weeks, 21, 21 venues I think it is. Yeah five, five weeks, 21 venues, 32 teams. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it is interesting how kind of despite that people are going to start sort of seeing these alignments despite the kind of different nuances of each sport and each event so yeah, it's great from that perspective. And I mean, um, just um, just building on what you said there, John, uh, I mean, obviously your, your goal that you've stated is to kind of deliver the biggest and best Rugby World Cup um, ever. So it's quite, it's, quite, it's quite a bold statement. I mean, um, I'm going to yeah. put you on the spot. How do you kind of plan on, plan on going about that? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, uh, use the time that we've got and use it really uh, wisely. I've actually been working on the project since November 2015. Uh, so it's already a long time uh, in for me. And that was winning the government funding, winning the bid, setting the company up, setting ourselves up for success. Uh, but to deliver the biggest and best uh, ever Rugby League World Cup, um, we have three tournaments, uh, which is a first. Um, the, the, the importance of our women's tournament cannot be uh, underestimated. Uh, we want to treat every athlete with uh, equality, put them on the same platform. We've got every game on the BBC, which is incredible for us in terms of uh, reach. Uh, but we will be measured, as Lindsay uh, has been measured and successfully, uh, by the number of tickets uh, that we sell. And, and, and our target is somewhere in the region of three quarters of a million tickets, which is completely uncharted territory for rugby league. So we've got to be very different. Uh, digital is so important and engaging with that event going. Uh, people who will spend the disposable income on experience uh, is critically important for us. So uh, we will be measured in autumn 2021, uh, a long time away. But the work that we're doing now, uh, that will be the test of whether we are successful in building that solid uh, infrastructure and base. Sure, and Lindsay, I haven't quite heard you say that yet, but I guess that the aim is very much the same, kind of to deliver the, the biggest and best netball World Cup ever. Um, we're, a few, we're only a few months away, but kind yeah. of what would, what would represent a, a massive success for you? Um, for, for us during the, the period to get through our planning, it was very much about listening to what people wanted from the tournament to make it the best. So uh, listening to the spectators, or gaining that insight, listening to teams, listening to the International Federation, really trying to understand what would make this the best for them. We followed Sydney 2015, which um, they were very proud to say they had a, a world record for the number of people that had gone to one match, and their stadium is bigger than ours. So we, we never went with biggest, but we wanted to provide a quality experience for those people who are attending. A little bit like what John said, you know, it's not just about the sport, although we're lucky that we, we have that sport that can have those, like, 
dying seconds clinches, which is really great for the game. But it's all about the entire experience of being in Liverpool. So not even just being at the venue, you know, it's um, with Piazza outside, which is going to have activations on it. We just announced a fan park. Um, we've got, you know, the sport presentation that's taking place inside. It's about the whole experience and the feeling that people will walk away with at the end of the tournament will make me think that this has been the best Neville World Cup that there could be. Yeah, and, and being the best will mean different things to different people. I think if England Netball and the Rugby Football League were in the room today and you asked them what success would be, it would be England lifting one or more of the uh, of the trophies. Or obviously, we're the tournament organisers, so we had a, a much wider remit. Uh, legacy is really interesting, and legacy to me means something different to a lot of people. Who it's about increasing the number of participants in the sport for us it's about giving a positive impact uh, making a small difference on people's lives and, and our legacy program focuses on mental health and culture and art and lots of different ways that we will stimulate and engage so it, it, the best means different things to different people um, but we will both measure by the number of uh, tickets sold and Lindsay's already got a massive tick in, uh, in that box quite lucky from that perspective to be going into the tournament and not having to worry about that element. Um, legacy, you know, is, is a big part of our event as well. I think we've talked about inspiring and empowering and, and we've talked about inspiring people to play, but also Netball World Cup is about empowering people to believe that they can do it as well. And that's kind of an ethos that we've built Netball World Cup on. So the success of the tournament will be built not just by the number of people that are getting involved, but how they feel and how they continue those relationships they build through Netball or the, the fitness that they build and believing that they can do it. Um, Walking Netball is a fantastic example of that, which is a, um, a arrangement between England Netball and the Women's Institute, um, as well as Walking Netball across the UK. We really want the Netball World Cup to inspire people to take part and be empowered just to keep that sport involvement going in the long term. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm just keen to touch on that legacy point quickly, because I mean, we've obviously spoken already about the great upward trajectory that women's sport is on, um, the Rugby League World Cup having this opportunity with three tournaments at the same time, and obviously... Yeah the fact that the UK is kind of inherently an event-going nation. Um, I mean, how much of an opportunity then is this to kind of put your sports in the spotlight and sort of drag them further up into that mainstream on a more regular basis as well? It's a fantastic opportunity. Um, as I said before, we, are, we have coverage from BBC and Sky, um, which probably four to eight years ago, we wouldn't have been able to agree in partnership with both of them. That's giving us incredible coverage across the, across the UK. The event is also going to go out internationally as well. So from a legacy perspective, there is no better spotlight than, than the World Cup. The Commonwealth Games was a fantastic spotlight for you, for, for us, sorry. But this is going to be in Liverpool, it's in the UK. It's England, hopefully performing well, but also Scotland and Northern Ireland taking part in this tournament as well. So within the wider UK, there's interest from other, other home nations as well. Yeah, and reach is important if you reflect on Gold Coast and the time of that game that it got into the UK and also the 2017 Rugby World Cup final between England and Australia and the audiences I think were similar, about 2 million people watched each of those experiences at not the greatest time from a, from a broadcast viewing perspective so I think that's a really interesting indication of reach and getting to a new audience and for us that that's legacy can be summed up uh, perfectly by that it's about getting to new people uh, it's about giving them a really great experience it's been less obsessive on participation that will follow uh, but it's about stimulating interest and whether that's through a mental health um, program that we're looking to uh, roll out and develop a mental health charter for the tournament whether that's through our dance program or whether that's through our funded facilities program um, we just need to have a diverse legacy offer um, and probably be a little less obsessive on uh, participation which ultimately um, will follow and not just about 
participation of players either, participation of volunteers, yeah. participation of coaches, participation of broadcasters. So uh, I remember Caroline Barker and Sarah Bayman shouting and screaming from the hilltops when England won. Even that will inspire somebody to get into that industry, a, a girl, a young girl who might have heard that, who might think that's a really exciting thing for me to do. So it's not just about the players, yeah. it's about the wider 100%. involvement. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. I think that's a, that's a nice note to end on. Uh, Lindsay, John, thank you very much again for coming in and uh, wish you both the best of luck with your tournaments. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. That is it for another Sports Pro podcast. Thank you to John Dutton and to Lindsay Impit for their time and for making the journey down to Victoria. Thanks to Sam Carp for asking them the questions. Thanks to you, Michael Long. Thank you, Owen. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, indeed. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. We will be at Sports Pro Live next week, uh, which may cause some fluctuations to your Sports Pro podcast schedule. But it also means that there'll be tons of great stuff to come out of that event. So look forward to that. Look forward to joining you again. Bye-bye.